this morning at the end of our service, I think I kind of made a mistake and said that we could talk about anything y'all want to talk about. <laughs> and maybe we can, but uh, let's try to try to stay on the topic of eternal security that we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, so uh, I'm not sure where Jake went. There he is. Uh, so as, as we get started, we want to take as much time as possible to talk about the questions that you all have. Hopefully you came with questions. Um, but if not, uh, we've got some, some written down already. Uh, and so we'll start out. I'm just going to ask, uh, I'm going to try to kind of moderate too, because I've been talking a lot the last three weeks. So I'll try to moderate some. Uh, if you ask a question, I'll, I'll try to remember to repeat your question for the recording so that we'll know what we're talking about if someone was to go back and listen to it later. Uh, but to start out, I'm going to ask all three of you uh, just kind of to talk about one question to get us started. And that is, uh, is there a passage in the Bible that, uh, that gives you the most assurance or that you go to a lot that, is, uh, that gives you assurance of the security of your salvation? Is there a specific passage that, that you all like or that you're drawn to? Whatever word you all want to go. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that this is one of the only passages that I come back to over and over again, but it's a passage that I am very familiar with, have read a lot, and is really, I think, really helpful. Uh, it's Romans 8. It's the very end of Romans 8, which maybe a lot of you are familiar with. Um, but he says, what then shall separate, or what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's one of my favorites. All right. Thanks, Jake. Um, uh, for me, I think the whole Bible is teaching that it's God that saves. I feel like we could go to any passage to, to see that it's God that saves. Um, in Jude, it says that God is the one who keeps us saved. It says that in Jude a couple times, it's mentioned. Uh, in John chapter 6, verse 37, uh, all that the Father, this is Jesus talking, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if God brings you to Jesus, he never lets you get away. Uh, Scripture that I look to is, uh, there's, there's several, obviously Josh, Josh talked about the, the fact that the, the whole Bible is pointing us to this, but I often will look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan 
of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. And in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In this, I see the gospel message communicated. I see God's design in saving sinners, bringing them unto himself, bringing them together in Christ. We see our hope in Christ, and we see that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is that sealing of the Holy Spirit, that gift of the Holy Spirit that we we receive through faith that is my hope in the Lord, is that God has set the work together. God has the, is the one who has done the work and he has guaranteed it with the down payment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one passage I was thinking about today as I was thinking about this question, uh, and I think, I, I don't know that came to my mind because it's the, my favorite passage or the one that gives me the most assurance, but it's, it's one that we haven't talked about over the last few weeks. Um, and it's Hebrews chapter seven. And in, in, in that part of Hebrews, uh, the writer is contrasting Jesus with the Old Testament priests and how Jesus is a better priest and he gives different reasons why he's a better priest. Uh, But one of the things he says in uh, Hebrews chapter seven, uh, starting in verse 22, it says so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. And then verse 25 says, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, And so I think one thing we talked about over the last uh, few weeks, and one thing that's gonna come up in all, all four of those passages, is that you know when we think about the perseverance of the saints, um, often we think about it as the perseverance of the saints, and from from our side that we're continuing to believe and continuing to stay faithful and persevering in the faith. But there's also that other side that we talked about, the preservation of the saints, where uh, where our where our real security comes from is, is knowing that God is the one who's saving people and that God is the one who's holding on to us. And God is the one that's going to continue the work that he started. All right, uh, Ms. Jetty. Yeah, is that John, John 10 maybe? Or John 6? 10. Yeah, John 10. Yeah, she, if, she said that she likes the passage in John 10 where... It talks about we can't be plucked out of his hand, that he's holding on to us, and we can't be plucked out of his hand. Good. All right, what, uh, what questions do you all have? Who's going to be first? Brennan? Yeah, so the question is, what made us decide to teach on this topic uh, specifically? You decided it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I don't know. You know, we've we've been doing these answers in August series uh, 
for, for several years now, uh, and there's kind of some hot topics that you, that you think of. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, why this one came up, but uh, it, it came up, and we, I think I suggested it, and we talked about it and decided it would be a good thing to talk about, and, and so we went with it. I think, I think this doctrine is, is very strengthening, though. Um, lots of people are up and down, wishy-washy, in a church, out of church, fall out of church, used to be Christian, you know, all of that. And um, this is a doctrine that says if, if God started something in us, he finishes something in us. So it's very strengthening. It's strengthening to our faith. Uh, there's, there's a quote that floats around a lot that says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. And I don't know if you've ever heard that quote before, but if you could, you would, knowing that we are sinful people. Um, but when God starts to go to work inside of you, uh, he, he keeps working inside of you. I think, too, as pastors, when we, when we think about frequently asked questions or, or heavy, weighty topics, this is one of the ones that's, that's on the top of the list, right? People often will ask about, uh, you know, if we have someone who starts coming to church and... Uh, comes front and, and professes faith in Christ and is baptized, but at some point in, in the not-so-distant future, they stop coming and they're, they're gone. That often brings those questions to light, and, and the, the question is, what happened, right? What happened there? Are, are they still believing or are they not? And we see that pretty regularly where, where we, we are asking that question as a church. Uh, we as, as pastors are concerned about people when they are, are not here and they have uh, suddenly stopped attending uh, or have separated from the body. We don't know what's going on internally, right? We, we're, we're not able to discern what the Spirit has done and what God has done in the heart of that person. So we are constantly observing, trying to encourage, right? Trying to teach and preach in such a way that that um, they're continuing to grow and learn, and we're looking for that positive evidence externally. Um, that's, that's not always an indication that there has been a transformation in a person's heart, but, but certainly I think this, this topic of salvation being forever and someone being saved uh, comes up a lot in, in ministry. Mm -hmm. and, Amen. Yep. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Yep. So, so those of you listening online or watching online, that 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 discussion was just about how we need to we need to be better at discipling people and not letting people go and and, and holding on to people ourselves as a church. And those of you that have been around for a while, uh, at least for several years now, you you know that over the last few years we've as a church and, and as pastors, we've been thinking about how do we how do we think about our church membership better? How do we think about our church roles better? Even uh, just a few years ago, we had several thousand people on our church role as members, um, and we don't have several thousand people here on a Sunday morning or several thousand people that are involved. And uh, in, and so we've we're working to try to get better at, at that, and um, and so all that's kind of in the background, I guess, of why we why we chose this topic. I'm, I'm glad to hear the, the both of you all say that, that uh, the church has a responsibility and that's on us. That's, that's good. That's a good way for us to think and for you all to think. Um, in a situation 
where somebody has, let's just say in that case, fallen out of church because uh, we don't want to get too crazy here, but falling out of church is not exactly the same thing as falling away from Christ, okay? There are at least two different expressions, okay? So, um, but falling out of church, so dip them and drop them is the phrase that you, you used, all right? If somebody has fallen away from church, right, then if salvation is what salvation is presented as in the Bible, heart change, life change, then that person should still be over there, should, in theory, according to the truth, desiring to live a life that honors God in every way, that hates their sin, is broken over their sin. If somebody is over here loving sin, living in sin, not desiring to honor God, and saying, the church didn't disciple me, now those are two different things. Now don't get me wrong, somebody can be in the church, not born again, fall out of the church, it's the church's fault because they didn't minister to them well, and they're still lost. Both of those things can be happening. But let's always just remember that the, the, the Bible presents salvation as God doing a heart change. Other questions? Yeah, uh, so let, let, me, let me phrase that question a little bit differently, if that's all right. How should, how should we think, when we think about perseverance of the saints, uh, and sometimes the phrase once saved, always saved is used, right? And sometimes, especially in Baptist churches, uh, we get kind of a bad reputation for believing that because, uh, because sometimes people understand the phrase once saved, always saved to mean that you walk forward on a Sunday morning, pray a prayer, get baptized, and then no matter what happens later for the rest of your life, no matter what happens, you're, you're saved because you were baptized that one Sunday, right? Um, and so, so how do, maybe, maybe let's talk about how do we kind of keep a balance between if you're truly saved, then God's going to keep you, but that's not a license to sin or, or live disobediently. There still is the, the need to persevere. What are y'all's thoughts about that? Kind of keeping that balance of those two things. Some people hear if you're saved, you're always saved, and, that, and, and, and to them that means that it doesn't matter how you live, right? Yeah, I think the balance to that is just to read the scriptures. There's no, I mean, there's really nowhere in the scriptures that would give you that hope that if you just pray a prayer, then you're good with God. I mean, it is truly all about our life changing, God changing our hearts and giving us new desires, taking away the old sinful person. Uh, and Paul describes it as we are a new creation, uh, created after the, in the likeness of our Savior. Uh, and so if that's true, then the category of I prayed a prayer, I walked the aisle, I got dipped, 
I can now live however I want and I'm still safe from the flames or fire insurance or however you want to say it, that, that category of people doesn't exist in the Bible. And so I think the best way that we uh, guard against that or against people thinking that way is just to be faithfully reading our Bibles. And we're going to see that there's no uh, person in that category in the Bible that we find that's, that the Bible says, yeah, you're good to go. You're saved. I think the message that we see over and over again is perseverance, enduring to the end, right? And um, for, for someone to profess Christ and then, as I was kind of talking about earlier, and then disappear or uh, leave all church affiliation, leaving here in this body of believers is one thing and then joining with another, right? We're, we're talking about leaving and then not affiliating or living a Christian life, a living, going back to living a lifestyle of sin. Um, that is the one that's concerning because we would say that person didn't endure, right? They didn't persevere till the end. Um, I, I, I think that the most important thing we can say, kind of getting to your point about, you know, evangelizing and um, where, where we fall on the spectrum of, of those things, it's most important for us to understand that not a single one of us can discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in another person's life, right? Uh, I don't know the mind of God uh, fully as it relates to his salvation of others. For me to say that I do is for me to be arrogant and state something beyond the truth, right? So for me to act like I know who the elect are, I would be a liar if I said that. Now, God knows, right? God is not surprised by these things. God knows these things. And so for me to have confidence that God is going to save people, God has told us that the preaching of his word will not return void. He is going to save some. He has told, in scripture, told Paul to stay in a town and continue to minister because he had more people to save in that town. That gives us confidence in evangelism because we know that if we faithfully proclaim God's word as it is contained in his word, if we proclaim the gospel without any pluses or minuses to it, we just proclaim the gospel and call people to repentance, the Holy Spirit will work in the life of a sinner, will draw them to salvation, and will save them. That is the confidence that we have as Christians to preach the gospel anywhere on this earth. And as long as people can hear the gospel preached, we have the full expectation that God is going to work and save people. That's why we get excited about evangelism, right? We don't move to the other end and say, well, you know, they're just, they're just not the elect. Well, that, I don't know, right? I have no knowledge of that. I understand how, how God saves people based upon what he's told me in scripture, but I'm going to be honest and say there's lots of stuff that God hasn't explained where I fully comprehend. And when I run into those things, I have to depend on my faith in God, right? God who is just, God who is holy, God who is righteous and loving, and, and all of the things that scripture tells us about him, I have to have my faith in him, right? And, and not worry about things that are not my responsibility. Let God be responsible for all the things that he's responsible for, which is everything. And I'm to be faithful in what he has called me to, which is to preach the word. Yeah, that's excellent. And back, I mean, back to what Jake said, Canaan, uh, the Bible just presents to us the, the, the attitude and the outlook that Christians are to have. Does if you were to just ask basic questions, does God say to love people? Yes. Does God say to share the gospel? Yes. Does God work through that? Like Matt was saying, yes, right? Does God desire all people to be saved? Yes. The Bible says, that. I mean, if you just stick with the scriptures, the less you get, the more you get away from this, the more you kind of start thinking about some of those categories that you named, the, 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 maybe the, the less we're in line with exactly where God wants us to be. Mm-hmm.
Well, and also, kind of back to what Jake was saying about about the Bible. Um, you know, one one thing that we've been trying to kind of talk about this the, of the last three weeks is, and this is true for lots of different topics or doctrines or whatever. The Bible says that if you don't persevere, then you will not be saved. Right? The Bible also says that if you're saved, you will persevere, and that if that if God has started working salvation in you, then He will bring that to completion. And sometimes I think what we what we do when we're reading the Bible is we for this doctrine or for others too we come to we come to some passages like that and we have to really kind of wrestle with how do we fit them together and how do how do how do they align with one another and sometimes I think what we do is we'll take kind of one side and we'll 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 focus on that and we'll say well well these verses can't really mean exactly what they say because of what these verses say. Or we'll say these verses can't mean exactly what they say because of what these verses say. But no, the whole Bible is true. And, and we have to, I mean, the Bible really does say that if you don't persevere to the end, then you will not be finally saved. The Bible says that, right? And we can't take another passage that says, you know, God holds you in his hand and he's not going to let anything pluck you out and, and make that mean these verses don't mean what they say, right? They, and we have to fit them together. And so that... That's true for this doctrine, I think, and for others as well, that it really is true that if we don't persevere to the the end, we won't finally be saved. But it's also true that God is keeping those that are his, and he's going to, with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, with the passage you mentioned, that he's going to work in us so that we do persevere to the very end, if we're truly believers. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's good. That when whenever we doubt, we take those doubts back to the Bible, and the Bible is what gives us that assurance. Yep. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, we uh, we started with that. <laughs> yeah, we st- we started with that. We didn't give top ten, but we gave top four. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we will we will share those with you. I didn't, I wasn't going to call you out. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So we so we often we often say that right. Uh, we often say that salvation is by faith alone, not by works. If you trust in Christ, then you'll be saved. Um, you guys want want to talk about that? How can yeah. is there is there danger in in presenting salvation? as kind of sometimes it's called like easy believism just just believe and that's it no not at all and i don't want anybody here to even think like that at all it is trust in christ he is able to save the problem is like what we started getting at later is that we don't do the next step or the hard part of if somebody did trust in christ and never turned from their sins we don't ever go back to them and have that hard conversation that's what we have to do. We don't change the message of trust in Christ. It's trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to say, well, if you go and do this and if you stick with it and if you don't fall down and if you don't backslide and all that. No. Whoever trusts in Christ will be saved. If I see you next week out there sinning, then i got to go talk to you about that. Somebody's got to go talk to you about that. And the problem is for so long we've been so weak in our faith that we don't do that. We all know people right now that trust, said they trusted in Christ, 
They didn't, and nobody will bring it up to them. That's the problem. The problem isn't that, that, that Christ saves. The problem isn't this is the message. The problem is that nobody follows up like that. And I don't mean just the church. I don't mean that. I mean whoever knows them, whoever's close to them. Quite frankly, probably our children. People in our own household. Yeah, so how should we, you know, we, we were talking over the last few weeks about how we approach people, we treat people with love and treat people with concern and treat people with, um, uh, with seriousness, people that are in the situation that they seem to have fallen away. But maybe, maybe we can talk about what does that look like? What does it look like? If, if there's someone that, that we know who seems to have fallen away uh, and, and we're with them, we see them, we go out to dinner with them, how should, we, how should that look like? How, how does bringing them back look? Just simply talking to them about calling them back. Why, why aren't you walking with the Lord anymore? Why are you okay with this sin in your life? Why are you doing this thing? Just ask those questions. I think a lot of it has to do with the relationship you have with the individual. Uh, and I think the reason why Christians so often get the bad rep as judgmental is because we tried pointing out the sin in everybody else's life without having any kind of relationship. And we just want to be able to say, hey, I see that sin. I condemn it. I condemn you or whatever. But I feel like if it's in the, the context of a close relationship, like if I were to go to, to one of you all or, or one of our other pastors with a concern, I don't think they're going to take that as I'm being judgmental. I think they're going to take that as he's caring for my soul. He cares that I seem to be into sin or, or whatever and has a, a concern for me to come back to the Lord and, and to turn away from sin. And so I think that relationship plays a big role. And I think that's kind of what Josh was saying when he was saying it's not necessarily just the church as a whole's responsibility, but everybody's responsibility. If someone that we personally know seems to be walking in sin or, or drifting away from the truth, we should be the ones. We shouldn't expect somebody else or the pastor of the church. If we have a relationship there, we should go to that person individually uh, and, and speak to them and, and confront that. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we think about walking in sin, we think about some, uh, some major thing that, that comes up in our mind of what it means to walk in sin. But, but really, the, when we're talking about someone who's fallen away from, from the faith or someone who's fallen away from the church, uh, sometimes that looks like somebody who was at one time very involved in church and was serving and was here and was with us and worshiping with us and all those kind of things, and, and now they're not. And they may not be, you know, cheating on their wife or their husband or beating their kids or, or whatever other kind of major sin we might have in mind, but it's just that they're, they're no longer worshiping the Lord. They're no, they're no longer following the Lord, uh, and, and that's, that's part of those conversations as well. I think as you're having <clears throat> conversations like that, it's important to have the relationship, as was, was mentioned. Um, if, if people don't feel like you genuinely care about them, uh, I think sometimes they can feel like we're just trying to get a number of people in the building, right? And that's ultimately that's not our, our concern. What we're more concerned about is are they walking with the Lord? Are they, are they living in sin? And so if we have that relationship with them, it allow us to ask some probing questions uh, to get them to talk more so than hearing from us and just what's what's going on 
you know, you, you, you have seen you in a while, which I think a lot of times we, we start with that. And I, 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 I will kid you not, if I see someone at the grocery store, because this happens a lot, if I see someone at the grocery store who hasn't been to church in a while, the first thing they will say to me is, hey, I know I haven't been there. I haven't said anything, right? I haven't said anything. I have a Christ-like concern for you, but I'm just like, hey, what's going on? You know, what's up? And then from there, if we can find out what's going on with them, a lot of times they, they will, uh, you know, give you some information about things that are going on in their life. And I, and I think that we have love and concern for, for these people who are here. We wouldn't have said we don't want to dip and drop. We don't want to see people, you know, leave uh, our fellowship because we genuinely care for them. And I think that people know that uh, because they see us caring for them. And as they see us caring for them, genuinely, if we're involved in their lives, we'll be able to speak truth into their life in a way that they will receive as opposed to reject on the face because you're just a pastor in the grocery store asking why you haven't seen me, right? Um, those, those situations are super hard, but I, I think having a Christ-like concern for, for others uh, and having a, a genuine relationship with them and being connected, those are the ways that we as, that's how the gospel message is spread. That's how, that's how we continue to spur one another along as, as, as members of the church is to encourage each other. Um, and it, it's, it's just, it's difficult to engage people in those conversations, but I believe if we care about them and we love them like we say we do, then, then we'll be willing to, you know, meet them where they're at and get them to tell us, you know, what's going on. Y'all probably heard the saying or the cliche or whatever before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Yep. So how do, how do you counsel people who, uh, who have at one point fallen away or backslidden in sin or whatever and have come back and now they're questioning were they really saved the first time or they just, well, they weren't saved then but now they really are saved or how do we help people think through those questions? We talked about this in my Sunday school class not too long ago and I think one of the one of the issues, or the reasons we think this way is because oftentimes when we talk about salvation, we often are thinking as a past event. And we think about that time that we walked the aisle or that time that we prayed the prayer or that time that we got in the baptistry. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We, you know, a lot of people have written in their Bible when they were saved, when they were baptized, whatever, that's great. But I don't think that should be our assurance of salvation for a lot of reasons. I think first and foremost, because of what we talked about even just a little bit ago, praying a prayer and I'm, I'm good to go, I can live however I want. If we have that assurance of looking back to a memory in the past, well, that's misleading. The Bible more so is telling us that we should be looking to the present and, and as we are continuing to live. Uh, and, and like what Pastor Josh Womble has said, right? We are, a, a lot of what we're talking about is the perseverance of the saints. Right? Those who are genuinely believing are going to continue believing. And so if I'm believing today, that's confidence for me that I am saved, that the Holy Spirit is at work in me. I'm continuing to believe from the day that I confess Jesus as Savior, uh, and I'm praying like crazy that I'm going to be believing again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Uh, but our assurance shouldn't come from a past event. It should come from right now. Am I believing right now? Uh, if yes then I think we should have confidence that we are saved, that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. Yep, 
um, believers sin. Some of y'all might remember a couple, couple weeks ago, I raised my hand and said, I think this would be a great topic for us to discuss. Let's discuss it at the, the next one, uh, the February one, uh, believers sinning, believers sin. The Bible says it over and over again. The whole church discipline passage in Matthew 18 is when a believer sins. The Galatians 6 stuff says when somebody sins, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Believers sin. And so as soon as you see somebody that has fallen away, backslidden, is in a dark place, I mean, whatever category we want to put that in, that doesn't mean that they were never saved. They could totally be saved, and now they are caught up in sin. And what Perseverance of the Saints teaches, what the Bible teaches, is that there need to be people around them that love them and, 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 and support them and call them to repentance, but God will bring them back. And so... Um, when somebody has seemingly fallen away, at that moment it looks like they're not a believer, but there's still a whole lot of life left, we, we hope. And so um, we need to understand that the Bible presents a place that believers sin. It's not okay to sin, but believers do sin. But believers, because they have a new heart, hate their sins and they repent of their sins. Maybe not right away because it's a season, but they will repent of their sins. We need to have that category, too. I just thought of this passage. I should have read it when I was originally responding. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So he says we have come to share in Christ. That's past language. He's saying we, we have come to share in Christ, if we continue to hold our confidence firm to the end. And so... Again, there's that past element of that time when we placed our faith in Jesus, but also we're only confident of that if we continue believing to the end. Uh, and I think that's an essential part of the whole uh, conversation that we're having. I, I would say also the, the thing that's hard for us in, in those situations is if someone says that you know, they walked an aisle at a, a church service when they were younger and were baptized, but they, they, they don't you know, believe that that was uh, genuine. Uh, they believe that maybe they were coached into it or they were doing it because a friend was doing it, which is probably one of the number one and number two things that we see with children is that they, they see a child baptized, I want to be baptized, right? Those conversations start immediately with I want to be baptized. And, and, and our, our job as parents, Sunday school teachers and uh, pastors is to ask questions, right? ask lots of questions to, to determine what's going on in their heart. Are they genuinely believing or do they want to be baptized and get a t-shirt because they saw somebody who was baptizing at a t-shirt, right? We, we, we don't want that. That's dip and drop and we don't, we don't want that. Um, but when we have adults who, who come to us and say, you know, I, I, was, I was baptized and I thought that I was good, but I have sin in my life and I'm feeling a conviction that uh, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I'm confident that I was not saved when I was young, and I, I believe that I understand now, and, and I want to, you know, profess Christ. I believe I'm believing in Christ. I want the church to know, uh, and, and I want to be baptized. Believers' baptism. Then uh, I, I think we would we would absolutely, you know, embrace that and encourage that because if God is working in a person's heart and, and He is bringing them to salvation, if they believe that, that that you know something that they did when they were younger was was not genuine. Uh, we would absolutely 
welcome that with open arms and rejoice over what God is doing in their life. Um, I, I know uh, in, in my own life uh, that my wife, uh, you know, was, was a, a person who had professed Christ and was baptized younger, but was not until she was almost 21 years old uh, before she really surrendered to the Lord. And um, I know that it was a struggle for her for years, trying to convince herself that she was fine, that she had walked an aisle and was dunked. But it wasn't until she came forward and, and told the church her situation and said, I am believing now, right? I'm, I'm fully believing. I want to be baptized. It was difficult because she was older, right? But I absolutely think it was the right thing for her to do. It was a, it was a beautiful thing for her to do. And, and I know that that's the story of, of, of others that, that are here. So we would, we would counsel them. We would talk to them. We want to make sure that, um, that, that they are believing, you know, first time or if they're coming to us later. And then we want to encourage them, as, as they, they've mentioned, about uh, continuing, enduring, walking, uh, and continuing to be faithful uh, to the Lord. Uh, this may be kind of hard to do without a without like a, a board to draw on or something, but um, there's a there's a there's an aspect of, of this idea that intersects with how we understand sanctification, right? And so if we think about if we think about like a graph, right, and the bottom line is uh, is time, and the sideline is holiness, and we think about how Christians grow in holiness. So down in the corner is kind of the day the day that you get saved. And then we think about salvation, how do you grow in, or sanctification, how do you grow in holiness? The idea that we, that we may have sometimes is that, you know, the, each day I get holier, right? Each day I get holier. And so, and so the graph would look kind of like a 45 degree angle going straight up, right? But that's not how, that's not how the Christian life is. If, if we were going to look at that on a graph, like sanctification or graph, it would be more like an EKG where there's ups and downs and you know, there's times in your life where, you, where you're growing a lot, and there are other times in your life where you're growing more slowly, and there may be times in, in your life where you're in sin, and, uh, and, and, and so, so it kind of goes up and down, right? But if you kind of stand back and look at larger chunks of time, it, it goes up and down, but there should be a trajectory of it going up and down, but going up, up and down, right? And so it's not like a perfect... It's not, the Christian life is not a perfect thing where we're going to be more holy every day and be growing, you know, perfectly like that. It's a, it's a, because we still have sin in our life. We're still struggling with temptations and, and sins and things like that. And so um, it's, it's more of a slow growth over time knowing that, that God is working. hope that wasn't too unclear without a drawing. That's right, and yeah, and who's doing the work? That 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 salvation is a is a transformation, right? That kind of infamous analogy that I've been given every week about about fire and mixtures and all that kind of stuff, right? How chemical changes, it's there's no going back, and that's how salvation is. It's a it's a transformation. And what he's doing in you. Yeah, that's right. I like the fire analogy. I do. <laughs> I just laugh at it. You always saying you don't know the analogy, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. People have, have explained to me how fire works, but I don't think anybody really knows how fire works. People know the ingredients and how you create a fire, but 
what makes the flame go up? What is a flame? What's a flame made out of? I think that's our focus in February. Let's get back. Other other questions? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so both of those are really good questions. So the first question is, um, how should we think about um, how should we think about people who uh, who were professing believers um, and they've written books or uh, preached sermons or other material that that's been used uh, and and that the Lord seems to have blessed the use of that material and people are growing because of 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 what those books say or or whatever. And, and now that person who, who wrote the book or preached the sermon has denounced the faith and is saying that he never was a believer. And um, how should we think about that? Should we still use that material? Should we not use that material anymore? Um, yeah, how should we think about that? Those are great questions. That first question is really, really good. Yep. We'll get to the second question next. That is so, to me, that is so complicated or so perplexing um, that I'm just kind of, kind of baffled by it. So much of our conversation tonight is, is really about the worldly person that is claiming Christ. That's, that's so much of what this discussion is about. Are they saved? Are they not really saved? What's going on there, right? But in the situation where, I mean, by just all normal perspectives, the person was a godly person. Um, what to make of that is, is very, very just perplexing, and I don't know. What, we get asked that question a lot. The way I answer it is, to the degree that it is a distraction and bothersome and troublesome, definitely do not use the book. But I've got a whole office full of old guys from 100 years ago, 500 years ago or more, and I don't even know how they finished or anything. I just read the commentaries, and if it's good, I use it. I don't know who they were or what they did or anything, really. So it's not distracting at all. But like, I'm not passing out Joshua Harris books anymore because that person in theory could go, man, I really like this book. I'm gonna Google who this was and see if I can find some sermons. And now they're in a bad spot. So answering, is it good or was it, you know, since that happened, was their stuff truthful? I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed by that. But to the degree that it could potentially be distracting and, and bothersome, I say no. That's me. You say no, don't use it? I would say no, don't use it if there's yep. any potential yep. that it could be uh, distracting. Yep. I co-sign that. Uh, I, I go to Matthew 7, right? Um, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. They may also say, didn't I write a really good book about living the Christian life? I think the thing for, for, for me I, I, I come back to on this is if we're using books for people who endured and finished well, we're probably okay as long as they don't depart from this. If they depart from this, that book is not worth starting a fire, even though we'd have to discuss how the fire burns. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need to use it, right? But if we have good, 
solid Christian theologians. Josh is, was talking about having an office full of them. I just brought a, a, a big basket full of good, solid materials here this evening to, to put in my, in my, my library here. Um, absolutely, those people are people that finished well, whose teachings are solid, consistent with what's in God's word. Absolutely, we'll continue to use those. During the map, we have four books that we recommend people read during the, the discipleship training, right? The ministry apprenticeship program. Um, those are books about, you know, some of them are still living. Uh, some of them have, have passed. Uh, I, I think it would be hard for us if, if we have good materials like that and someone denounces, I'm, 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 we would do just what, what uh, Pastor Josh Green said, which is we would stop using those materials just because we would, have, would want to avoid uh, controversy. But for those who, who fall away, it's, it, it's, it's so difficult for us because we don't know their heart. We just know their fruit right? And it doesn't appear to be fruit anymore. It's thistles and weeds. And um, we should recognize that uh, it's not good for us. And so we would, we would not use the material. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but to your second, your second question was, can, can God or does God use unbelievers in the life of believers? Um, and so I, I agree with, with what y'all said. Uh, but I also, I was thinking of a passage as, as y'all were talking. So, so there've been some times where I've been preaching a sermon, even here, where I read something from someone like you're talking about that, that used to be someone that was trustworthy and, and now is not trustworthy. Uh, but what they wrote was really good, I thought. And I've, and I've quoted that before here, even here in a sermon. Uh, and I've said, instead of calling the person's name, I've said, as one commentator says, Right and, and quote what they say without calling their name, so it wouldn't be a distraction. Um, that may be that may be the right way to do it, may not be the right way to do it, but I, that's what I have done in the past uh, before. Uh, but I was also thinking uh, I've been teaching an online class on Thursday nights, and we've been teaching through the Book of Philippians. And in Philippians, I don't remember if it's chapter one or chapter two, but Paul's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's he's encouraging them and thanking them and all this kind of stuff. But at one point he says that there are people who preach the name of Christ out of envy and, uh, what's the other word? And selfish ambition. Yeah, out of envy and selfish ambition. And so they're, they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it in a way to try to, to, try to uh, get one up on Paul or to try to denounce Paul or, or something like that. And Paul says, I rejoice because in everything the gospel is being proclaimed. And so I, so I think definitely God can use that, uh, you know, if they're, if they're writing what's truthful. You know, I gave the example, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I gave the example of um, the guy at, at uh, University of North Carolina who's a Bible scholar, New Testament scholar, Greek scholar, uh, but he's not a believer, has never claimed to be a believer, has, is, is an atheist as far as I know, and uh, I can't think of his name. What's his name? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, but he's like a leading Greek scholar in, in, in acad, you know, academics. And he's, you know, the way that he's kind of researched the Greek language and, and the New Testament and some of the insights he's come up with can be, can be useful and can be helpful, even if he's not a believer and doesn't even claim to be a believer. Your second question was about like the Holy Spirit working through unbelievers. Yeah. Uh, that just kind of sounds not right to say that the Holy Spirit is working through the gifting of an unbeliever. Um, so you just got to be careful in saying that. Does God use 
stuff, of course, you know. If you handed me a book and you didn't have the author's name on it and I read it, I'd say, like, man, this is really good. Let's, let's read it. And you're like, well, look who wrote it, you know, uh, something like that. Uh, yeah. We have a long list of questions that we don't know the answer to that when we get to heaven, right, you and I will, we can't wait for God to make all things clear one day in heaven. Or probably won't care about when we get to heaven. <laughs> Some sure. questions we don't even care about the answer Good to. Good point, them. yeah. Okay. Uh, that question is a little bit off topic, but <laughs> if you were going on a, the question is if you were going on a trip and you could only take two books with you and one of them is going to be the Bible, what would be the other book that you would recommend for someone to take with them or that you would take for yourself? I, I would say Pilgrim's Progress. I love that book. Uh, I've read it many times. Um, but I don't know. Like, um, I might take a Michael Jordan biography with me, <laughs> something like that, because I would enjoy that a lot. Um, I think a book of world maps would maybe be something to take. You know, there's a lot of different ways to answer that. Yeah, I was thinking this along the same lines. I might take the, there's a, there's a commentary that's well known called Matthew Henry's commentary. And it's not perfect. It's not great, but it's, but it's good. Um, it's, it's really old, but it's a, it's a commentary on the whole Bible. Uh, he, he, he writes about almost every book in the Bible. Uh, I might take that with me, although it's really big and heavy, so maybe that wouldn't be a good idea to take. Uh, or, or some other kind of novel. I was thinking maybe a Wendell Berry novel or something. I would take our church directory so I could pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Great answer. Was being stuck on an island part of the question? Yeah. I don't remember. Was it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I love a good um, historical book about, you know, like events that happened. And so I, one of the recent ones I read was called Endurance. Uh, and it was about these guys that got stuck in ice down in uh, Antarctica and somehow survived. This was like 1914. It's an exciting read. I'd read it again. <laughs> if the question was about being stuck on an island, maybe, maybe like a big city like New York City or something, a, a big, huge phone book so you could use it for kindling it might be a good idea. <laughs> All right, other questions about eternal security? <laughs> I've got a couple other ones written down here as you all are thinking. What, how should we relate to or think about other believers uh, and other denominations even who disagree about eternal security? What do you guys think? How should we relate to other believers, other denominations, even thinking through like, like missions or church planning or how we partner with, with other churches, other believers for different, different things? I like what he was saying um, to the degree that they seem committed to the truth, committed to God's word. We partner with them 
and to the, to the degree that that's being compromised, we don't. You know, I mean, there's even some unbelievers that come out and help us pass out food to the food pantry. Mm-hmm. We love on them, and everybody knows that not everybody here is a believer. There's not really any gospel message being, being told from them. Um, if they thought that they were going to start speaking up and talking to the cars, then we may tell them no, you know. Um, we might do missions or we might do um, a food pantry or a clothing closet with the church because we're just trying to get clothes to people, but we wouldn't let them preach. Well, you remember we used to do that with the Fairdale Community Ministries? We would do events with some other churches, but we wouldn't let their pastors preach here. Um, and we had to say no to that sometimes. We wouldn't even let the guy read scripture here because he wanted to read other scripture. Mm-hmm. And he was being divisive. And uh, So to the degree that it's compromising the word of God, we back away. But if it doesn't seem to be compromising the word of God, we partner with people sometimes. If it's a mission trip where we're helping clean up after a tornado or something, a flood or something like that, we can partner more yeah. broadly than if we're a mission trip where we're planting a church together or something like that. Yeah. Yep. We All right. Don't, we, don't, we, um, don't, we don't want to be legalistic. No. We don't want to be. We want to be partners. We want people to know that they can count on us. And, you know, um, it, it, it's always kind of disheartening to me when we're out at a ball field or it was 110 degrees this week for the food pantry. You know what I mean? And somebody gets all worked up because their tattoo's showing. You know what I mean? Or something like that. I'm like, man, we, don't, we ain't worried about that, you know? Or they bump their knee uh, on a 100-pound box of, of food and they say a cuss word. And now they're so embarrassed because they said that in front of us. Right? We ain't worried about that, man. We're not legalists over here, you know? Um, and so when it comes to, like, partnering with, with, with people, too... We're not quick to divide and quick to say, I don't work with you. We want to try. We don't want to compromise, though. We don't want to compromise the truth of God's word. Good. It's, uh, it's after 7, so we need to wrap up. Um, maybe we'll end with oh, one question back there. Uh-huh. Okay, so if we're, if we're visiting, a, visiting a different type of church, a different denomination, or a different type of church that has different beliefs about the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper is, what the Lord's Supper's for, um, should we participate in the Lord's Supper with that church, or should we not? That's a great question, great question. That question comes up a lot in mids, men, midweek Bible study, men's and women's Bible study. Personally, I would say that if we are at a church that is like faith, meaning they have a similar understanding of what the Lord's Supper represents, and uh, there is no sense that the bread or the, the, the juice are physically transformed or 
transubstantiation taking place there that turns it into the literal uh, blood and body of Christ. I, I think we would, we would not take it if that was the case. But if it's a like faith church, um, and, and I'm not saying exactly aligned on everything, but if they're like faith church, uh, we, uh, we, we could partake. Uh, we, we have the freedom to do so. Um, but certainly I would encourage you, if you're not sure, not to violate your conscience on that. Um, and uh, make sure that you know you you know what the church believes, right? If you're participating in any services there, um, so that that would be my guidance on it. Um, yeah, I want to be real careful here, but many times I'd say it's happened at least ten times here at our church where somebody says they're going to a Catholic service for a certain reason. Somebody in their family is getting baptized or something like that, and they say, should I take the Lord's Supper? And every time I've told them no, do not take the Lord's Supper there with them. They're, they are thinking differently about that than we are. Um, but when we were in Ecuador, that's a Baptist camp. That's, those are Baptist churches. We took the Lord's Supper with them in Ecuador. And so those were, those were Baptist churches. We think they were saying the same thing as us. Yeah, it's pretty like-minded with us, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. I think you should have been hesitant to take it. I think probably you shouldn't have if you, I don't know if you did or not, but uh, I think I probably should, wouldn't have. You know, I think those those kind of things are kind of hard hard line things. Where if it's a whole different understanding of 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 the Lord's Supper, like in a Catholic church or like a church like that that says the Lord's Supper imparts grace, um, that you rece- somehow receive God's grace simply by taking the Lord's Supper, whether you're believing or not believing does, doesn't matter. Though I think those things are pretty clear. Um, that I, I wouldn't participate. I have attended Catholic churches before and, and not taken the Lord's Supper. We have people that come here that, uh, that for whatever reason, have, sometimes don't, don't participate in the Lord's Supper and, uh, and we're fine with that. We're, we're good with that, right? Um, we have people that are, that are not yet believers, people that have not yet been baptized yet, uh, have not yet professed their, their faith publicly. And we encourage people to examine themselves and examine what the Bible says and not to take the Lord's Supper uh, inappropriately. You know, when we, when we talked about the Lord's Supper back uh, in February, I guess it was, and one of the questions that came up even, even here was, what if there's somebody that's, uh, the example was somebody serving in nursery. And so they're not part of the service, they're in the nursery and the service is going on up here. Um, and, and yet when we have the Lord's Supper, uh, we have ushers that, that take the Lord's Supper to the nursery. And so this person was saying, it's Kind of awkward, kind of kind of weird, because we're taking care of kids and changing diapers and breaking up fights and whatever happens in in, in nursery, depending on the day. Uh, and then all of a sudden, here's the Lord's Supper, and we haven't been thinking one bit about that, right? And so, should we should we participate? Should we eat eat this bread and and, and drink the the juice without even having 
been thinking about those things at all? Is it okay for us not to? And, uh, and I think we said then that it's absolutely okay not to if you, if you don't feel like you're in the right mindset for it. Um, I, I, think, I think it's better not to, I think it's better to choose not to participate when, it, when it's okay to than to decide to participate when you, when you shouldn't have. I think it's better to err on the side of not participating than on the side of participating. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we say it every time. Do not, do not take this wrongly. Yeah. And I kind of thought, Teresa, I kind of thought that's the direction that your question was going to go because we say each time, and that fits with this eternal security discussion, we say each time, you, you may be a believer, you may be a member of the church, but if your heart's not right with God right now and you're in sin, we would caution you to not take it. And so that, that's kind of opening up that there's a category out there that you might be a believer, you might be a member of this church, but your heart's not right. You, that person needs to repent. They need to get back right. You know, if they were to die on the spot, would they go to heaven or hell? You know, I, I don't know. We don't even try to say that. But it's at least presenting that there's a possibility of somebody that should normally take it that we're suggesting right now don't take it because your heart's not repentant before God. Yeah. I will say this. If you start taking the Lord's Supper at other churches, brace yourself. Uh, JJ and Eli got baptized when they were somewhere around 10 years old, and we were at another church that used real wine, and we didn't know that. <laughs> and I remember, like, nine-year-old Eli just chugging it back, going, whoa. <laughs> so we use juice here, but some churches use real wine. Yep. All right. <laughs> yep. Well, we, we provide the, the, the warnings, right? Uh, the, basically, the three statements that we usually make are, um, you know, if you're, if you're not saved, we don't know why you would. Uh, if you've not been baptized, if you're, if you're not currently living in fellowship with the Lord, you know, we were providing those cautions up front. If there's a, if there's a language barrier, that, that may be a different, uh, you know, a different challenge for us. But we're not really policing who is or is not taking right we're, we're putting that on the individual to to know where they are with the Lord that, that kind of goes back again to this whole conversation that we're having about salvation is that I don't know who is or is not living in right standing with the Lord I don't know who is or is not uh, trusting on the Lord for forgiveness of sins and salvation right we're, we're trusting the believer or non-believers to make the right decisions in the pews when it comes to distribution um, if there's a language barrier, we can talk about that as a separate, a separate issue, but uh, for the most part, I think we do the best we can each time that we offer the Lord's Supper to provide the warnings and the instructions. Well, we, we generally read the scripture from Paul in 1 Corinthians about the administration of the Lord's Supper and why we're taking it. And I, I think in doing so, we're, we're doing what we can to make sure that people are informed about what they're doing as they're receiving it. All right, it is past seven o'clock. Thank you all so much for being here tonight for all your questions and discussion. Uh, Jake, would you pray for us yeah, to end our pray. service? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day and us being able to gather together to worship you. And God, we thank you for this, this topic that we've been able to talk to over this last month of eternal security. Uh, and it is so comforting for us to read the Bible and to know that if you have begun a good work in us, that you are going to bring it to completion. That those who the Father has given to Jesus, have placed in his hand, no one or nothing can pluck them out. And so, God, I pray that we would live with that assurance, knowing that if we are in your hands, there is nothing that can separate us from you. 
And God, we thank you for that promise. And God, I pray that our church would be uh, a place where we are constantly pointing each other to Jesus. Uh, we're constantly uh, making each other aware of the reality of the dangers of sin, that we're encouraging one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God, I pray that you would help us all uh, to reach the end faithfully, that we would continue believing firm to the end. God, we thank you again for this time of study, and we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, one last thing before you leave. There's a plastic bag over here in this front pew with some fresh tomatoes that somebody brought from their garden. If anybody wants tomatoes, please take them. <laughs>